Talking League, your weekly NRL fantasy podcast. Today, we're going to be previewing the Rabbitohs for the 2024 season. My name is Pat, and I'm going to be hosting tonight, and I am joined by our resident Bunnies fan, Jason. Jason, how's it going, mate? Yeah, really good, Patty. Really excited to talk about the Bunnies. You know, it wasn't too flash last year, but hopefully a little bit better in 2024. Uh, mate, uh, a lot of my mates give me a bit of shit about this, but the Bunnies are, I feel, my my second team. My uh, my dad is a he's a junior actually, so he's a he's a diehard South supporter. I mean, no one knows why I'm a, a night supporter, but I felt the 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 crumble in real time last year. Why don't you uh why don't you talk talk me through it, mate? Like what what was going on? Because you, I generally, I I can remember the game. I remember um I think it was Magic Round last year. And I wasn't at Magic Round, but I remember watching South. Who they they spanked someone. They absolutely demolished someone. I was just I think it was Melbourne actually. And I just remember watching that game, and I was like, "These this team cannot be beaten. They they've got the comp." And then it just unraveled very quickly. Like, give me give me your thoughts. What 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 happened? It was really interesting because South weren't too flash in the first couple of rounds because they had no middle forwards, and we'll probably touch on that later. But eight and three had beaten Penrith, had beaten the Storm, had beaten the Broncos. We're looking very, very good. And then they just came up against Parramatta, didn't put it together defensively, fell apart. And then after that, it was a bit of chat around some internal scoreboards. And at the end of the day, the players just weren't uh, as ready to go with some of these other teams like the Sharks, the Warriors, and the Knights. Because, you know, we saw you know, back into last year, as I'm sure you remember quite well, uh, the Knights gave them a bit of a touch-up. Of course, mate, those mighty Knights. Hopefully they can uh, repeat. But... Yeah, I feel that, um, you know, I guess a lot gets spoken about a team's premiership aspirations and, like, how important it is to be healthy. And I know we're going to cover a couple of them tonight, but, like, the Latrell injury and I guess that whole origin period was that signal, right? It was almost like the signal of their downfall. And I think, apart from Latrell and Campbell Graham, because they were pretty well, like, publicised around their injuries, like, is it just a case that their injury run happened too early in the season and they never recovered? Or, you know, there was a, an area of complacency where they thought, you know what, it will just click eventually for us. We'll get these players back and, and we'll be good to go. Because, yeah, I mean, even when all their players were back on deck, like, they just, I don't know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't happening for them. No, it really wasn't. And if I can be a Karen for two seconds here, South had to play two of the major buy rounds. And one of them, we had to play the doggies and we nearly beat them, but we lost. And then, you know, some other teams like the Panthers, the Storm, the Broncos, uh, you know, only had to play one of them. I mean, they were miles better than South. Like, let's make that clear. But yeah, that, that didn't help. But yeah, I just don't think it was clicking at the right time. They clicked really early and, you know, we did the Dragons and instead of being champions in March, we were champions in May. But uh, unfortunately, that meant we missed out on the eight. Yeah, unfortunate. I mean, yeah, they're, they're stacked anyway, so probably looking for a, a better 2024. So everyone in this episode, we're going to be covering some studs, duds, cashies and breakouts or bounce backs uh, for the Cardinal and Myrtle. But before we start, please be sure 
to join in on the fun on social media. We are Talking League Pod on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as Talking League One on Twitter. Uh, and you can find all our information at www.talkingleaguepod.com. So, Jace, the Bunnies, so last year finished ninth, agonizingly short, losing out to the Roosters in that final round to miss the finals. Uh, they came seventh the year before that, third in 2021 on the way to a grand final, sixth in 2020, fourth in 2019, 20, 24 gains. Jack Wyden from the race from the Raiders, Sean Kepi from Manly, and losses are Hame Sele, Blake Taft, Jed Cartwright, Terrell Kaolo Kaolo, who was unsigned. Uh, I guess some major talking points for them. So their first buy comes in round seven, and they're also playing the. They also got a buy in round thirteen as well as round seventeen, finishing early with the Titans there uh, after that round seventeen buy. First seven rounds. So I'll read it out to you. You let me know how how you think it goes. You got Manly over in Las Vegas. Uh, the Broncos, Roosters, Bulldogs, Warriors, Sharkies for for their opening seven heading into the draw. How uh, how does that fill you with com- any confidence? It's a nice tough draw, and I think that's what Souths need. Often they can play to their opponent's level, as we saw last year at Suncorp. They absolutely put one on the Broncos, who probably weren't at their peak at that point. And same with the Roosters, who actually turned them over quite early last year, despite the Roosters being terrible. Of course, we've got that Easter game there against the Bulldogs. It's a fair draw. It's nice and competitive, uh, so the boys shouldn't be too complacent in those first seven rounds. Yeah, I mean, well said. I mean, I think it's a pretty – it is definitely one of the harder openings, um, but I guess when you consider South should be a, a top-four squad, I mean, it's, they're also a hard opposition for the others. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the yeah the Manly game in Vegas, I'm really actually interested to see what happens with Vegas. I feel like, and for those that have missed it or haven't caught around the traps yet – I mean, there's been a bit of news in the, the cycle with Vegas with players potentially not getting visas. And, I mean, who even knows who's going to suit up in those first couple of rounds. But either way, looking forward to it. So let's kick us off. How good is this bloke? Taking a look at our studs. And tonight we're going to start with Cameron Murray with a break-even of 57 at 787K. Uh, Robbo, I know you were massive on him in the last preseason. You were talking about him as a alternate captain's choice and to start the season you look like an absolute genius and then like the rest of South you kind of dipped in form and, and fell fell away so so talk to us about Cam Murray. I actually lucked out with Cam Murray last year I sold him before that game in Magic Round when he scored 27 when he had all the penalties and missed tackles because I think he dropped about 70k after that but in terms of this year warning to all the punters out there whenever I've been really high on Cameron Murray he started slow Whenever I've been very low on Cameron Murray, he started high. And I'm more on the low this year. So in terms of why we're so excited about Cam Murray, average 64.8 from round 21 onwards. So we definitely want him in the run home. There's going to be no buys this year to contend with, so he'll be great at the end and potentially might have a discounted price from some you know, managed games around Origin. In terms of what concerns me the most about him is his play style. So in matches that the Bunnies one last year, he averaged 52. There was one Origin game in there, so it's probably more like a 55 if you take that one out. But he averaged 64 in losing games. Mm. And when Souths were playing their best 40 at the start of the season, what did we see, Pat? We saw Cameron Murray, first receiver, digging deep into the line and then passing it back to Lockie, to Cody, or to Latrell. Yeah. And then all the action happened out there. So if that returns this year, I would be very concerned that we might see some of those slower games at the start of the season. And, of course, with 
the Vegas games taking place a week before the other games, if you locked, say, him and Haas in and there was some chaos that occurred on the second TLT and you got those two players locked in, I don't think it's going to be that ideal. In terms of where there may be some upside, though, uh, he had a regression in errors, missed tackles, line breaks, tackle breaks, and offloads in 2023 compared to 2022. I put a fair bit of that down to that change in playing style where he was that distributor and working quite well, trying to preserve him uh, for the longer part of the season. So yeah, I wouldn't be against people taking him, but I would be very, very cautious because uh, in terms of that play style, Pat, that we saw at the season, like mm. that's pretty easy for them to replicate this year and, uh, and potentially win more games. Do you think the the news that there's a potential for him to drift out to the edge during games, which I guess could potentially end up in more minutes, but, you know, we talk about play style. I assume that him moving to an edge means he won't get the, the grunt work points, right? Like, how, how do you see that play out? Like, number one, do you think that will happen? Do you reckon he'll play some time on an edge and extend the minutes? And if so, how do you reckon that will affect his scoring? I think it'll be an option for Demetrio to use if he wants to have him and Talis Duncan on at the same time because they're going to be a similar play style, distributing out of first receiver to you know those key spine players. I think if he goes to an edge, it could actually be a little bit of upside because we know he's a great right line runner when he's played for Australia mm. or for the Blues out there, and you know he's very good at scoring tries. So if he does hover out there for five to ten minutes, like it could work out quite well because yeah, he might have might not have that grunt work, but potentially. He might have a Latrell or Lockie or Cody put him into a gap and then charge over for a try. So, yep, look, I wouldn't bank on it being an extra, extra set of minutes, but if he does play a little bit of time out there, I don't think it will impact him too negatively. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good call. I mean, my only thoughts on, on Cam Murray, like, I do like that he's playing round one, so you kind of called it there with, with Haas, and that's for any of the four Vegas teams. It is nice. If you're going to pick a gun or VC option, it's nice to get them locked in nice and early before the rest of the round resumes. Uh, I guess the only play that I thought around him was if you wanted to, if you were going to play Haas and if you wanted to save a little bit of cash, I thought like a risky option could be starting with Murray building and the gamble is here that he starts fast. I mean, I look at his numbers in his past two seasons. He's actually a very fast starter. So first five game average of 2023 out of 64 average and he's, first five-game average of 2022 out of 69 average. So he can start really quickly and the bunnies get off really well. And I thought that if you wanted to gamble on it, you could accumulate that fast money as an underpriced gun and then trade him out at the buy. And you could potentially trade into Haas because I know that you're high on Haas as well. You think like, And he's got a much more favorable buy schedule. So you could then make that money up go to Haas and then ride him out for the rest of the year. I mean, that was one thing I was considering. Um, but again, he's still a risky option. Like, we actually still don't know 100% what he's going to look like. Um, but if you wanted to save some money and you were going the Haas route, I can see some viability in him. Uh, moving on to our next gun, let's talk about Damian Cook. Uh, a 56 break even, 773k to start the season. Uh, knocked... I don't know. He looked knocked about last year. I don't know if the uh, the whole center thing in the middle of the year also played played havoc with his uh, with his mindset. A few few jokes from the punters that he should be dual position center. <laughs> um, unfortunately, not the case. I mean, that would be pretty excellent because <laughs> uh, centers are actually trash this year. But yeah, I mean, Cookie a down year for him. He's been the premium fantasy hooker for a few years, or since he really took over that starting spot in 2018. Down year. Everyone seems super keen on Harry Grant. If they wanted to go a gun hooker, not so much on Damian Cook. Uh, what do you reckon? What do, what do you think about Damian Cook this year? 
It's going to be quite interesting because, of course, Peter Mamuzelis recently re-signed for another three years, and it might not impact the start of the season, but it might at some part of the season. Because you'd think with Mamuzelis, he would have had offers to go elsewhere, might have been temptations to get a nine jersey elsewhere because, of course, the, the Bunnies won New South Wales Cup last year with him as the nine, so he's obviously a pretty handy player. I think what we might see, though, is that biting in the back end of the season after all the buys are done for the Bunnies. But in terms of Damien Cook, uh, I wrote about in the Mercado last year in the fact that that play style that was hurting Cameron Murray from a fantasy perspective, it also hurt Damien Cook because you had two factors that come into that in the sense that because Cam Murray was distributing the ball out, he wasn't taking it to the line as much, and if he's not taking it to the line, he can't give a quick play of the ball for Cookie. As well, the distribution style of Murray was meaning that all the attacking stats were going through Cody Walker, Latrell Mitchell, and Lockie Elias to a lesser extent, whereas in previous seasons, there's been a bit more for Cookie to run out of dummy half and make those plays and get those direct attacking stats. So it's something that, again, the play style is going to be massive uh, for Cook, as it will be for Murray. and. You know, there is that upside there because in previous years, he has been really, really good and he's not overly expensive. But for me, it's just going to be around, does he play Origin? And what do we do with Mamazalis? Because if he does end up in the 14, it's obviously going to be a clear scare. But you know, we saw it a couple of times last year. We saw Saliva Havili actually start at nine and then Cookie come off the bench after 20 minutes. So there's always going to be that threat when Havili's fit uh, that they might not be max minutes for him. So... Probably not the hooker I would go at full price. And as we see, we've got some potential bargains here. You know, we've obviously got the elite Danny Levi. We've got the elite Brandon <laughs> Smith and potentially a Parramatta hookers. So I feel like it's going to be opportunity cost if you take Cook. Uh, but again, I'm not really going to steer anyone away from him just yet. Yeah, I um, I kind of group Cook and Grant together, I think. And, and just on that point there, I think there's some value floating around at hooker. And hooker was a problem last year, even though Grant was the... Like the the superstar, he still had some terrible games, and like there there wasn't one person throughout the whole year that you were ultra confident in the hooker position. So I think with that in mind, it's probably just best to to stay clear. Like again, I, I mean, I want for one wouldn't recommend a premium hooker this year. I would find find value somewhere. Uh, I'd be very keen on Cook. I actually do think Cook's going to bounce back a little bit. I think he's going to end up averaging closer to 60. Um, but for me, the value is going to be after that round 13 buy. Like if he's if he is humming and he's looking good, then he's going to play the additional buys. He wraps up in round 17. So I can see him being a season long. And also after round 13, we'll get a really good understanding if he's going to be in the origin frame or not. So yeah, I think Park Cook for now, but Definitely keep in mind later towards the year. Um, I, for one, disagree a bit on um, Mamazelis. I reckon that I don't think he'll pinch minutes this year, more next year if it was going to happen. Like, I think it depends on how South are traveling and if they need Cookie to be firing and, and helping South push along for, for a bit of a tilt. But we'll, we'll see as the, the season progresses. And now, our last star that we want to touch on is Latrell. Big Latrell. We almost forgot about including him because Latrell manages to find a way to miss the end of the season, either through <laughs> suspension or, or injury, and then we had to check if he was actually available for round one, uh, which he is. So, yeah, I mean, let's talk Latrell. He is sitting at 747K, a break-even of 54, and you know what? For all the doubters that say he's not a fullback, this and that, let's not forget he was the number one player those first 10 rounds like he was absolutely braining it he was doing really well 
on the field for South. He was doing really well from a fantasy perspective as well. And then, you know, whether he was a victim of obviously his injury, but that whole internal strife at South, like the whole Burgess thing, it obviously played with him. He was vocal as well, and I still don't know who he was taking a shot at when he was talking about being mistreated with the injury, if it was actually the blue staff or the bunny staff, but he wasn't a happy man. South weren't happy. But you know what? Even when he came back towards the end of the season, he still performed. So he's a fantasy gun. I, for one, am going to just avoid. Like, I think he's too expensive, plus an early buy-ish, you know, like an awkward buy schedule. He probably will be in the origin frame. So he's a no from me, but what do you reckon about Latrell for this year? Yeah, I can't see him being an option from round one. He obviously finished with a 58.5 average, and that included a game where he got Sinbin for probably one of the stupidest Sinbins I've ever seen on Frizzell. Of course, Frizzell was in my fantasy team, so I was very, very upset about that. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's another opportunity cost that we have. We spoke about centers before, Pat, in terms of we're probably going to have to spend maybe at least a million dollars on our two starters unless we get lucky with like a stranger and Nero. But even still, do you really want to do that to yourself? So probably have to spend more on centers, which means we have to cut back on winger fullbacks. So he's probably just going to be one for the draft board from round one, I think. Yeah, agree. Definite, definite draft watch. I feel like some people might sleep on him because you almost forget that. He was there last year, but he did kill it. So, agree with that. Let us move on to... No, 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 no. Our duds. Now, our first dud is going to be Jack Wyden. So, 520, 32K, break-even of 39. Uh, As of recording, it did just get announced that his All-Stars game will count towards suspension. So, he's tracking for a round three start. So, he's not going to start the season, but... Regardless, we'll, we'll analyze him a bit. I mean, coming to South, he's probably looking at lining at left center. I mean, I I don't know why they're buying left centers, South Sydney, but here, <laughs> here we go. So he's coming in there. He's at 532K, 39 break even. I mean, he did have a good fist at center last year. Like, he was great in that finals game against Newcastle before he decided to take a piece of, uh, of gamble home with him. Uh, but, but what do you think? I mean, I think for... Rookie coaches, even if he's got a round three start, I think you need to give him the time, right? Like 40 average at center is actually relatively difficult to do, let alone a guy who hasn't played in the position for very much. Yeah, I, I think the thing we need to clarify around Jack White is he could be a good score at center, but the issue we have is, is if he's not available round one, it's very unlikely he's going to get that center dual position. So he'll be what we call an out-of-position player in fantasy circles or an OOP player. That works beautifully when it's a half that you can pick at centre or a back row you can pick at centre. But when it's the other way around, it's not so great. And, you know, if you're paying full whack for him, he's obviously not available from round one, you're paying him to play half. That's really, really risky. So mm. probably want to see how he goes at centre. He has a great profile for a centre, obviously, decent ball player, big, strong ball runner, uh, and, and loves to score a meaty. But until he actually has centre DPP, he's not going to be valid uh, in classic. So... With South's schedule, he's probably going to be a round eight reassess because he'll have got dual position by then if he's playing left center, as we expect. And as well, South will have one buy out of the way, and so you'll have a little bit more of a picture as to how he might feature. And then, of course, as well, there was a bit of chatter around the traps uh, that we recorded in the last weekend in January that he might come back and actually nominate for Ogen. And if he does, obviously, that's going to affect that equation as well. Yeah, I think. I think New South Wales are pretty stacked in the centres, and I can only see him being a centre. I mean, I think he's actually a great 14, but I can only see him getting picked at centre. I think there are too many good options ahead of him. So even if he was to unretire from origin, I can't see him 
making the squad. Um, I mean, my big takeaway is there's just not enough data. And also, you know, he he does profile well. He's a big boy, so he could kill it on that edge. But at the end of the day, three-round suspension, round seven by, then around 13 by. If anything, wait until after round 13, and then if he's crushing it and he's a gun center, you could look to bring him in for that run home. So moving on to our next player is Cody Walker, 633K, break-even of 46. Now, he has a purple patch every year. Every year he has a stretch of games where he lures coaches in and then he follows it up with a string of just rubbish games. So I feel like he's a, a massive trap and he's a, a draft-only kind of guy. Even then you're riding the lightning. But what do you reckon, Cody Walker? Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly there. I think the only thing I want to add to that is that he did play Origin 3 last year. He was very good, and he was also in the South setup when Madge was coached. So that just adds another eye of risk on a player that isn't known to be a solid 50 scorer unless he's averaging at least a TA a game. Now, so before we speak about the next guy, because this actually directly affects him, there is chat, and I feel like it's more external because I, I, I personally don't see them doing this, but there is chat about moving him to seven and widen to six. I personally don't like that move. That's just me. So it means that Ilias is out. But if he was to move to seven, does that make him a more appealing prospect? I'm not sure it will because I think he'll just end up sharing kick meters a la Fogarty and Whiten last year. And speaking of Fogarty, Fogarty and Walker are essentially the same price. And I think we know who we'd like out of those two. So probably not. I mean, just more on Ilias. We may as well... Jump into him now, 517k, break him at 38. Neither of them have long-range kicking games, and without that, I think they're always going to struggle to be guns unless they just have an unsustainable amount of attacking stats for you know 10 weeks in a row. Yeah, and yeah, let's keep the ball moving on on Ilias. I mean, I think, I think for me, he's... I mean this with all due respect, but he's the least important spy member in that team, right? Like, even behind Cameron Murray as the 13, and he's under enormous pressure, which... I think he's a bit unfair. Like, for a young bloke coming in a grade, and I understand that he's following in Reynolds' footsteps, it's almost like people blame him for the fact that South didn't re-sign Reynolds. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I actually think he's a decent young player. But from a fantasy perspective, you just got to avoid, right? He's probably, he's probably at his price, and he's just under too much pressure to even stay in the team. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's really interesting because it appears Colin Matungi is heading to the left edge, which is where he played prior to Sua leaving. So I don't know whether that indicates that they're worried about the defensive structure on that side because it appears Jairo will be there next to Ilias. And we know Ilias does have that, uh, I guess, prominent back injury, which impacts him. So, yeah, it's going to be hard for him. And as well, of course, South won New South Wales Cup. I'll just get that in for the second time because we did not much in <laughs> uh, first grade. We, yeah, I mean, we had a terrible year in first grade, one second grade. But Dean Hawkins, he was awesome. And yeah. if he keeps performing, he is probably going to be you know, really putting the heels on there in Lockie Ely. So he does need to step up from a football perspective. But yeah, fantasy, we're just going to let him slide. Um, and I mean, you know, so you're, you're saying you're not confident on Ilias having an attacking weapon potentially of Jacob Host to run off him. <laughs> <laughs> you're not feeling the attacking upside? No, nah, not quite. Yeah, you know, I love Jacob <laughs> Host. He's a good, solid player and does what he needs to for the team. But yeah, even with Jairo there, I don't really think he's going to be able to just pass it to Jairo and Jairo is going to beat 20 players and, and get a try assist no. for Lockie. <laughs> no, unfortunately <laughs> not. Um, all right, let's move on to some Cashy. Our first Cashy, Ty- 
Roan Munro came into grade, well, he went through multiple grades last year, made his first at grade debut, break even of 25, 350k. Before we, we get into it, mate, what, what do you reckon? Is he, is he the future? Because he did look good when he came in. Yeah, Tyron Munro was the highlight of the back half of the season. Like, there wasn't many moments watching South on Fox lead that got me out of my seat. Uh, it was more just going, what's happening with the defence? But when Munro scored that first try against the Warriors, I literally leapt out of my seat because it was just incredible to see a young 18-year-old Indigenous boy that went through four grades uh, score a try on debut. It was just awesome. Uh, he's a good, young, humble kid. Uh, he's putting the work in. He's obviously uh, dealing with the injury that he had a couple of weeks ago, but he's expected to be good to go for round one. In terms of, you know, from a fantasy perspective, we lucked out because he actually got decreased back to a 25 price point instead of 33.3. What I like about him is that Sharks game, he didn't have his best game. He's a young and experienced player, and he had five errors, but he still scored 23 points. And with a few of those errors, I'm not sure if you saw that game over in Perth, Paddy, but... Yeah. Two or three of them, if he holds on to the footy, it's a line break. It's probably 40, 50 metres and maybe a try assist or some tackle bus. And again, with another preseason, a bit more confidence behind him, knowing that he's going to be that first choice at right wing, there's nothing stopping him averaging like, you know, mid 30s, maybe even low 40s for that first you know, six rounds. And we can you know, maybe turn him over with, you know, 125K profit. Yeah, I did watch that game, and uh, again, mate, Dad's a diehard. We were actually at Perisher that weekend when we watched that game, and he was not a happy man watching, <laughs> watching that. I was happy because the Knights followed in Perth, and we got yep. it, we snuck a win away. But yeah, I mean, he was he was a very exciting prospect. Uh, I want to ask you. So, a lot of coaches are probably going to be taking Pappenhausen and Campbell as like their as two of their starting back three, and pairing them up with another probably low range. I mean, two options. You either go up really high and take a premium or you go towards the lower end of the scale. Do you see Munro being a good option to be that third? Or if you feel that for players who are going or for coaches who are going up, do you feel like he's a viable bench option? Or do you feel like, do you get the heebie-jeebies about having a starting winger on your on your bench? I think the issue that would concern me with that is just the price. He's 350K, not 230 or 250. I wouldn't have an issue if someone had him as an 18th man, but I just feel like with your wing of fullback slots, you probably only want to have maximum three, four eligible players and you have a dual position like Chris or something that plays in the centre. So I think if you're taking him, he's in your starting team, similar to Will Warbrick. Of course, Will Warbrick was base price, but what we saw was you know that opportunity that you know if he crosses the line for a few meeties, he'll go up in price and we'll be able to move him on. And I think that's something we could see, you know, maybe 100, 125, 150K before that break even. Sorry, before that buy. And at that point, you know, maybe there's a, a fallen gun like a Scotty Drinkwater or something from last year that we can maybe do a straight swap or only have to use 100K of extra cap to get in. Yeah, good shout. Uh, mate, you might have a bit more insight on this. I've also seen somewhere floating around that Tass might get tried at right wing. Like, I guess just being a Bunnies fan and probably paying more attention to it than me, do you think that Munro is first cab off the rank? Because obviously Wyden having that three-game suspension means that it will probably be Tass at left centre until it happens. But do you feel that Munro will keep the spot or do you think that there's legs in Tass moving across? There's definitely legs in Tass moving across. He's a big, strong body, which is obviously what you want on a wing. And AJ isn't necessarily the most aggressive ball carrier, neither is Latrell, despite his size. So there's definitely scope for that. There's also been a bit of chat around potentially Tass being like a 14 off the bench because you, know, you could technically throw him 
anywhere in the back line or you could rearrange Jack White and to go somewhere else if need mm. be or even Chuck Tass in the back rows. So I would suggest if he gets it from the start, that'll probably what they do. You know, because you've got a young kid, you probably want to give him you know, four or five weeks, see how he goes, and you know, at least he's going to get two games if he stays fit. So yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about that. But yeah, it is something to be aware of. Okay, good shot. I um, yeah, I mean their back three does not like yardage. I'll tell you, tell you that much. It is an area of issue for them. Where's, uh, where's Nofaluma's number? They should give that guy a call. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to uh, Talis Duncan, 413K, break-even of 30. Another really exciting prospect from last year. The Cameron Murray vibes are very obvious. He has a very similar build, play style. Like He's essentially a clone. Demetrio pretty much came out and said that. Very, very similar players, very similar play styles. Um I guess the issue is probably going to be minutes, just at 413k. It's it's an awkward price, but talk to me about Duncan, mate. Yeah, really, really excited by him. He profiles as a Murray light. Again, I'm not saying he's as good as Cameron Murray, but yeah, he's got those attributes that you want. The elusiveness in the tackle, as we saw a couple of times against the Sharks and the Bulldogs, where somehow he's running at a straight line and he somehow manages to sneak through, which I don't know how he does it, but he should bottle it up and sell it because it'd, it'd be a fair bit on the market. I think the issue, you pointed out there, it's the minutes because they're looking for him to play that Murray role. So unless Murray's going to you know, drift out to an edge for a bit, I'd struggle to see him getting more than you know 30 minutes and he would probably need to go at like a 1.5 ppm you know, to get, make some cash, which seems pretty unsustainable to me. Yeah, I mean, he actually really reminds me of Murray when he came into grade in, in 2018. So playing that role off the bench, getting a few starts, like I can see maybe this year is that year for, for him, like as they trial Murray on an edge a bit more and, you know, p- playing around with their attack. So I think he's a real black booker because I, I'm not sure when he's locked up to, but he would be a starter in other teams and he definitely profiles as an exciting player. So I feel like if anything was to happen to Murray for a long term, like just note Duncan down because he's definitely got the game to, to make a real fistful of it if he ever if he ever gets that. Bounce back. So we're looking at Tavita Totola, your love interest or a part love interest from last year. He's kind of carrying over into this year. He's at 485k, break even of 35. He's the man with a solid PPM. He's got very good prospects, but he's also one of the most unlucky when it comes to uh, when it comes to injury. Talk to me about his prospects, mate. Yeah, it's funny. I wrote an article in preseason last year for the Mercado, and I must have cursed him because there was about five players last year I cursed, including Nico Hines. So I probably won't write an article about him this year because I really want to beat it and have a great year. He was a clubman in 2022. He was awesome. The thing I find interesting about Totola is he goes at 0.9 ppm, but he basically has no attacking stats. He's not an offloader, barely gets a tackle bust, although it is noted he's good for a meaty uh, near the posts off a cookie. Uh, or a misdirection from Cam Murray. So hopefully he gets a couple of those. What we're seeing is should have a nice clean preseason. He's obviously looking quite fit from the socials uh, we shared. So if he can get, you know, a 50, even a 45-minute stint most weeks, 0.9 ppm or even drop it down to 0.85, seems to be at least six or seven points of value there. He's going to be a bit of a slow burn. But what you know is he's got job certainty and job security there. So for someone that might fit your puzzle piece quite nicely under 500k, I, I do rate him, but he's definitely not a must-have. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think at the price, at worst, we're looking at a 40 to 43 point player. Like, you know, the upside 
probably about that 45. So he could do much worse. And yeah, all he needs is a bit of luck to stay on the field. And I think he's yeah a very solid, stable pick to, to pair with someone like a Haas. Uh, and finally, the last player we want to talk about is Campbell Graham. So 609k, 44 break even. I mean, with those kind of numbers, it's hard to say bounce back, but it's more around the trajectory. Right, like he was on a massive trajectory last year. He started off hot. He capped out at about 685k uh, before his sternum injury, missed out on the Blues selection, plummeted down end of the year at 550k. So they've repriced him at his overall average, but there is definite room for growth. And with centers being an absolute shit show this year, uh, he could be an option. Yeah, definitely. You know, you look at his recent averages, you know, 45.4 2020, 40.9 2021, 43.6 in 2022, and then last year 44.4. Pretty consistent. You know, basically that's his going to be, you know, his floor is going to be that low 40s. And you know, the bounce back more comes from the fact he had that sternum injury last year, which unfortunately brought him out of the origin conversation. And you, know, you think he'd be pretty fired up after that to come in and dominate this year. He's going to be one of those centers that isn't completely priced out that might be an option for some coaches. And you're basically banking on there being a bit of bounce back from South Sydney as a whole and him getting off to a hot start because he's yet to average 50 for an entire season. Last year, he did average 53.3 when he got at least one try. So we probably have to spend up in this price bracket and you know, there's some, maybe some better alternatives, but he's certainly not the worst one. Yeah, I think... Um... If South are travelling hot and he's a beneficiary, he probably will end the season as one of the top-performing centres. He's got it in him. I'm uh, Campbell Graham's number one fan. If you ask some of my mates, I'm the only person that seems to pick him up in draft and, and have rated him for, for a few years. <laughs> um, maybe it's just a face. Maybe people just don't like gravitate towards him because he just looks like, I don't know, he still looks like he's in high school. So maybe <laughs> he's just like that guy, you know, that random guy and you don't want to put all your chips in that basket, but he's a solid, solid player, solid performer. I think in a draft scenario, don't let his fall last year fool you. Like I think that, as you mentioned, his floor is too good. So he should actually probably, if you're picking a draft center, be up there with one of your top performers because a floor of 44 in the center position is very rare and he still has upside. So I think from a draft scenario, he's like a really great option. You could probably go a little bit Earlier on him, and by earlier, I mean like before round eight. I don't go early on centers. Um, but that being said, I think from a, to start the year, he'd be a gamble and he'd probably be at price for a bit. But if you just wanted security, then sure. I mean, why not? I won't be starting with him. I think he's just a little bit overpriced in the centers. But again, you could do worse. Like he would be a solid contributor. Uh, but yeah, Robert, that brings us to the end. Uh, thanks a lot, mate. Hopefully, 2024 brings a bit more luck to your beloved bunnies. Uh, but apart from that, thanks everyone to listening. And yeah, let us know your thoughts in the comments or shoot us a DM. And yeah, catch you next time.